The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Graham Rendell is with us on this episode of the Paracast. And as you know, I follow a lot of the early flying saucer stuff. And one of the reasons is that nobody else is following it. We have the Pentagon here in the U.S., which is looking at military sightings but doesn't care a whit about what the military was doing back in 1947, thereabouts. But Graham Rendell has written a book called Dawn of the Flying Saucers, Aerial UFO Encounters and Official Investigations, 1946 to 1949. And I would say those are probably, what would you say, Graham, the golden years of the UFO mystery? So in the formative years, yes. I mean, you know, this is where it all kicked off, or at least um, in terms of the modern day phenomenon. So yes, it's an extremely important time. Did you follow much how we handled it here in the states or worldwide, or what? I mean, the, the book basically concentrates a lot on the on America because that's where most of the information comes from in terms of that period. But there were other things happening elsewhere. So it, it's good to be able to sort of switch the, the book away at times from what was happening in the States because it was effectively a worldwide phenomenon and continues to be today. Now, what got you started in chasing flying saucers? <laughs> I'm 56 years old now, so I go back to about the age of eight or nine, and I was really interested in science fiction. I was reading the likes of Isaac Asimov, E.E. Uh, e. Van Vogt, um, E.E. Doc Smith, uh, those kind of books. My mother, bless her, um, she bought me another book thinking it was another one of these types of books I was reading because it had a picture of a spacecraft on the front, except it wasn't uh, fiction, it was non-fiction. It was a, a book called Mysterious Visitors by Brinsley the Poet Trench, who was a, an, a UFO author from the 60s and the 70s, and it was about UFOs. Being a kind of curious kid as I was then, it, it just got me hooked, and it, it, my brain exploded, if you like, and it just went from there, basically. Well, Brinsley the Poet Trench was also one of the pioneers in writing books about ancient astronauts well before Eric von Daniken got into that. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, he, he certainly had some interesting theories back then. It was just enough to stimulate my interest. And I moved away from that kind of thing into the more, I suppose, nuts and bolts in terms of the much more the modern encounters rather than the biblical uh, encounters and the ancient astronauts kind of thing. I moved on to different books. I moved on to, on to John Keel. I moved on to other, uh, Tim Good and some other people uh, in, the, you know, in the 1970s and 1980s and, fur, and further on. So, yeah, I broadened my horizons, I guess. Well, certainly you broaden your horizons if you read John Keel. And oh, I only regret, that, only regret that he was rather crusty in his old age. And we tried to get him on the Paracast 
And I didn't make the call. We fell named Tim Beckley. Don't know if you know him. He, no longer with us, by the way, mm. he gave the phone number to an original co-host here. The co-host called Keel. Keel says, how did you get my number? Clunk, hung up. <laughs> I can imagine that's how the phone conversation went. Oh, bless him. <laughs> it was so interesting because when I knew him, I had just moved back to New York and I called Keel and said, hey, I'm in your neighborhood. Can I drop over a few minutes? And we spent like four or five hours chatting at yeah. his apartment. He was really a great guy, very funny. But as he got older, as many of us are wont to do, because you're just a young whippersnapper compared to us, uh, it was rather yeah. different. Now, as I was considering your book, I was looking here at the very first issue of Fate magazine. Not the... Mm. One printed in 1948, but the reprint that Phyllis Galdi did. And this is available, by the way. You can buy this. And the first article in that magazine is one that we could get into because it's considered the progenitor of modern flying saucers. The Truth About the Flying Saucers by Kenneth Arnold. Yeah. Kenneth Arnold, I mean, he is effectively right there at the start. He's not actually the, the one who sees one of these objects for the first time. There were obviously lots of people beforehand in 47, also 46, and even earlier than that. But he's the one that everybody seems to latch on to because when he lands and he, after he tells his story, it, it just seems to snowball, doesn't it? You know, the, the, the newspaper reporting, it, it just seems to be the right time and the right place where everybody wants to have a piece of this story and they want to publish publicize it and then do you get copycats or do you get people who come along afterwards and have their own sightings but it just sort of mushrooms into this huge phenomenon and of course he's the person that people want to talk to he's the people that want want to read about and he's the, the person that people want to to learn more about his sighting it was interesting that ray palmer latched on to <laughs> arnold in the early days when he was the co-publisher of Fate magazine and got him to write that, but also when the Maury Island That's incident right. occurred, he hoodwinked, and I'll say that, hoodwinked, <laughs> he hoodwinked Arnold into participating in that. Now, in terms of Arnold's sighting, mm. what do you think was the most compelling thing about it that caused it to basically generate a worldwide phenomenon? Because as you say, things were seen before then. I think it was probably just the fact that he, he was who he was. He was a he was a he was a self-employed businessman. He was fairly well respected in his neighbourhood. He wasn't probably somebody who was going to come along and tell a wild story. He'd already done a little bit of homework to try and work out what they were with some of his colleagues at one, at the airport that he landed at after he'd seen these nine objects. So he wasn't somebody who was necessarily looking for fame and fortune. I mean, he, I think he probably regretted everything that he got into because of all the hassle he had to endure because it got the way of his business afterwards because he would turn up somewhere and he would have flocks of newspaper reporters you know sort of at him for five minutes of his time everywhere he went so it, it was probably a bit of a millstone after a while but i think he was literally just that time and, and maybe it was you know i don't know whether it was a slow news day or it was because of that flying saucer kind of image that was portrayed by the journalist that basically coined that phrase but it, it seemed to you know strike a chord and it, it just went right across America and obviously people may be having their own sightings at the time for whatever reason why it kicked off then in such big numbers. 
but it, it seemed to you know be one of those things that set a trend off and newspapers bear in mind i suppose the press always hungry to latch onto a story that's going to have legs if you like it just seemed to have you know a lot of mileage in it and people were coming along all the time saying, yes, I've seen one of these as well. But they weren't necessarily the same thing. They were all different shapes and sizes. The sightings had different um, sort of you know, bits to them. So it wasn't just somebody seeing the same thing again and again and again. So there was a lot of information and there was a lot of interest in the story, but a lot of facets to it as well. So that's what made it so enduring. It wasn't just one of these, um, you know, here today, gone tomorrow phenomenon. It, it, it had a lot of legs to it. Now, one of the linchpins of the Arnold sighting was the speed at which he estimated mm. the craft. If it wasn't so fast, they might have thought maybe that's something conventional. But as soon as you had the speed estimate, oh, no, we can't do that. That's right. I mean, if it, if they'd been a lot closer to him and he could have identified what what you know what they were, like a flock of geese um, or it was a flight of aircraft, then obviously the, the the story would never have gone anywhere. But the fact that they were so far away, but he could still you know make out kind of sort of details of them in terms of they were shiny and they were and they were heel shaped because that was the, the the shape that he drew. It wasn't that crescent kind of that came along later on. Um, but also, as you say, the speed he had it actually dialed down the speed. He, he'd originally estimated something I think like. 30, uh, 1800 miles an hour but then it dialed it back down to about 1300 but at the time that was at least twice the speed of the fastest jet in 1947 it was certainly a lot faster than any of the, the propeller driven fighters at that time um, so you know it was something that when the, the public uh, when the press got a hold of that information then you know that was something well how can this be because it, it, they're just going so fast uh, and that obviously was something else that just added to the mystery what made more difficult for the skeptics to say something about it? This is going to be a real fascinating episode. We're going back to the beginning dawn of the Flying Saucers, Aerial UFO Encounters and Official Investigations, 1946 to 1949. Graham Rendell apparently has made a lot of effort into exploring the early sightings. And maybe as we progress, we could see what we can learn from them. I think... Part of the problem currently in UFO research is that we haven't learned anything and we ignore the lessons of history and therefore we are, to quote the cliche, doomed to repeat it. Graham, Gene and Tim, you're in The Paracast. Hey listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. 
Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. When I was a kid, I wanted to be just like Cal Ripken. It's definitely humbling to know that now people are calling me a hero. Instead of finding the IED with my metal detector, the IED found me first, and that resulted in double above knee amputations. It's hard to describe the feeling of meeting somebody that you've always wanted to be like. There are people now that are looking up to you for their inspiration and to be their role model. Visit saluteheroes.org to learn more. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers simply because that's what longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Graham Rendell talking about the early days of flying saucers. We were focusing here on the Kenneth Arnold sighting and the factors such as speed that made it impossible to identify. But just to jump over to the other case, he investigated Maury Island. What's your take mm. on that? Wasn't it coal? Wasn't it some kind of slag from a from a local kind of industrial process? I mean, I've never really delved that deeply into that particular case beyond what I know of it from just a, a brief look in terms of what information I use for the book. Because from People who I've spoke to who know much more about that case, it seems quite convoluted. It's apparently hoaxed, and that there are lots of um, sort of um, people that you know, contradict themselves when they, when they tell the story. 
It just seemed to be a bit of a mess from all accounts. But, as you mentioned before, Ray Palmer, um, he basically gave or offered Kenneth Arnold some money to go and investigate it for him. Um, And, of course, and, well, Kenneth Arnold said, yes, okay, he'll do it. And for whatever reason, he decided that he he would agree. And when he came away from it, he he, he also enlisted the help of Emil Smith, who was a United Airlines pilot, who also had his own sighting. But the two of them basically came up with nothing. I'm not sure whether you you have anything to the contrary of that, but to to my mind, it was just, it was some kind of slag that fell from the sky. Or it might have been ejected from some kind of process, but it was certainly whatever it was, it wasn't what they were saying it was. Well, you know, there was a flame war between Ray Palmer and Captain Ruppelt, who wrote the book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects. He was one of the early heads of Project Blue Book. Yeah. And he called it one of the worst hoaxes ever. And he identified yeah. Palmer as, quote, unquote, Chicago publisher. Palmer said, whatever it is, I didn't invent it. I can't imagine that he found a way to have slag fall in a harbor and cause this. But what bothered me so much about the case, and as you say, you haven't really spent a lot of time with it, is when Kenneth Arnold comes into, I guess, Tacoma, and he tries to find a room, and they tell him none are available, and suddenly he finds this hotel where not only do they have the room, it was already registered, or at least reserved, in his name. That's issue number one, which is crazy. The second one is they're feeling him and Captain Smith that there was some eavesdropping going on. So I just wonder how intelligence seemed to get involved. I think the third um, part of this, which makes it maybe you know, why people still think there's something to it, is that when the two Air Force officers had that piece and they were going to take it back for analysis, and of course the aircraft crashed, didn't it? And they were both killed. Um, I think that's another part of it, which just thinks, you know, people come along and think, well, was there something to it? You know, were those two counterintelligence corps officers uh, when they were flying back to California with that the piece uh, that they were going to investigate? Did, was it a case of... Um, was a, some kind of sabotage to stop an investigation going on? I mean, those are questions that people have asked before, but aircraft do crash. Um, it, it could simply be a coincidence. Um, so, yeah, I've never really thought that story actually had any kind of substance to it beyond you know what some people have, uh, have said in the past. But quite frankly, yeah, it, it just seems to be a string of coincidences and a couple of people maybe, or somebody who's told uh, tall tales. And then, of course, when they tried to find one of them, didn't, didn't he disappear or something and, uh, and ended up in Alaska? I think I might be getting the story wrong, but there was definitely one of the people involved in it. Was it Fred Chrisman? Didn't he go missing or something? Um, well, Fred Lee Chrisman's uh, another story. I want to hit that in a moment. <laughs> but, okay, I mean, that one, there was another incident which Arnold cited in the book, The Coming of the Saucers, that he co-wrote with Palmer. And I assume Palmer did heavy editing on it. But he points to an instance where he takes off in his plane and suddenly the engine shuts itself off and he nearly crashes. Now, one could say, well, maybe he accidentally turned the engine off. But this is an experienced private pilot and that's a pretty damn stupid thing to do okay that's one thing now we have one of the harbor patrolmen fred chrisman who has a really 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 weird background one of which he was one of the characters that new orleans da jim garrison was looking into when he was investigating the kennedy assassination later on he did a right-wing talk show i think in the seattle area I, in fact, had a friend, he's no longer with us, a guy named Floyd Murray, who was actually researching 
Crispin's background, but he never really came up with any conclusions. Or if he did, he was long gone. Just wanted to give you that background. I think the other, the other thing I found out about him that I, I thought was something interesting to put in the book was the fact that he'd also been, well, he reckoned he'd been a, a World War II fighter pilot, but also he'd sent letters to Palmer's magazine saying that, um, regarding, was it fighting with underground entities in a Burmese cave uh, during the war? So it was, you know, I'm not sure kind of how, how much his head was screwed on properly kind of thing. So it was all a bit, uh, it, yeah, it, it just left me a bit sort of cold when I read about it thinking, well, okay, how how you know is this guy playing with a full deck kind of thing so yeah it, a lot of it just didn't add up for me i'm afraid well in the case of those letters this is when of course palmer was pushing the shaver mystery yeah which they didn't add up to anything either did they uh it's weird i knew palmer very very slightly i knew shaver more than slightly because we corresponded with him my first wife and i for a number of years we met him in the early 1970s, a few years before he died, we interviewed him, and I think it's probably the only interview that Richard Shaver ever gave, other than maybe doing a couple of talk shows with Palmer. But it's just very interesting about it, because he seemed like such a nice, easygoing guy, with a very subtle sense of humor. And I think towards the end of the interview, for example, he says, I said, well, anything else to say? And he said, yeah, I have to go get a cigarette. <laughs> it's uh, yeah I've, I've got a friend who's delved into the shaver mysteries and he, he the last time i asked him about it uh he, he just shook his head basically and went will not bother so talking about it so he and he's somebody i respect he's, he's a, a member of uh, uap media uk and somebody who's delved into these kind of things and i respect his opinion so um yeah um, dave partridge if you're out there then yes um, i'll go with what you say that's fair enough, I think, because I don't know what happened to Shaver. There are other things I'd like to talk about, but this is not a Shaver show. We've done that already. <laughs> I want to get back into the early cases. Looking at the cases that you chose from 1946 to 1949, what do you think was the most compelling? If you were saying, this is the sighting you got to look at if you're trying to understand the early days of the modern phenomenon. Well, I mean, people look at the Mantell case because, you know, it, it's got the death of the pilot. But I, I think I would go, I would skip forward to the 1st of October 1948 and George Gorman, who was a, a first lieutenant with the uh, North Dakota Air National Guard. And he was based at Fargo, uh, North Dakota. And he was coming back from a, from a routine uh, ex, uh, exercise flight one night with three of his colleagues. Um, and he still had fuel left in his tanks. So the other three aircraft landed. He, he decided to fly around in, in the circuit for a bit above the airfield. Um, and he looks down and he sees this Piper Cub flying into the airport. But then he also sees this light below him. And then, of course, it becomes effectively a dogfight between him and this, this strange light. And the light's making head-on passes at him. And the first time when it comes at him, he, he, he basically dives out the way of it because he's frightened it's going to hit him. We'll pause the pause that refreshes. No, that's a cliche. Graham, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
Do you need to get your hands on some extra money right now? Maybe $25,000 or more? If you're a homeowner, now is a perfect time to get cash out while homes in many neighborhoods like yours have gone up in value. You can use the money for anything. It's yours. You can buy an investment property, pay off higher interest debt, or make home improvements. If you need $25,000, $50,000, or more, now is the time. Home values are up, and so is your equity. We offer you a way to use it. No need to use your savings. Call New American Funding now and see how much cash out you can get. Call 800-721-2477. That's 800-721-2477. NMLS 6606. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is not an offer or commitment to lend. Subject to borrower and property qualifications. Not all borrowers will qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Equal housing opportunity. USA News Update. In the wake of the Tyree Nichols beating video, Memphis police are disbanding the Scorpion unit. The five officers fired and charged in connection with the death of Nichols were part of that unit. Two people are injured in a shooting in Jerusalem just a day after a gunman killed at least seven people near a synagogue. The pair injured are a father and son, with the suspect being a 13-year-old. Police say the teenager was neutralized and injured by passers-by who carried licensed weapons. Utah is banning gender-affirming care for minors. On Saturday, Republican Governor Spencer Cox signed a bill that disallows access to hormonal treatments and surgical procedures for anyone under 18. Former President Trump was making campaign stops in two states on Saturday. The keynote addressed to Republican leaders in New Hampshire and South Carolina for his first official 2024 event. Jerry Barmash, USA News. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran 
nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're talking about the Gorman case, is it, Graham? And the first part we left in the previous segment. Let's continue. Yeah, so he's got this air, this light coming at him. The first time he dives out the way uh, and it goes straight at level flight beyond him. And then it comes round again and it's making it a second head on past him. So he decides this time, I'm not going to chicken out. He keeps the aircraft straight and level. He's flying in an F-51 Mustang, by the way. And so it's a propeller-driven World War II era aircraft. And it flies straight over, it, it climbs up in front of him and straight upwards almost. And he goes after it. But because it's flying upwards so quickly, he can't keep up with it. And in fact, he's basically runs out of air. Uh, the engine, he gets into what he call an engine stall, which means the engine can't basically you know, um, propel him upwards at, uh, you know, any longer. And he falls out of the sky. And he manages to get, regain control and it comes down for a third go at him. Um, so it's, it's effectively toying with him, it's playing with him, this light. And he never gets any kind of identification but the fact that it's just a light um, and then it disappears now this is actually in you know in the vicinity of, a, of an airport over a city in north dakota it's not in the middle of nowhere it's not near um you know it's not it's not over the desert or anything like that so it's in a strange place for say another aircraft from maybe another squadron or from another unit to play you know in a really highly dangerous area and gorman's really shaken he, he's obviously shocked about the fact that something has either try to knock him out of the sky or it's toying with him when really that shouldn't happen. And of course, the Blue Book uh, went, or uh, rather Sign when they looked, Project Sign when they looked at it, and they tried to do an investigation and they worked out that there'd been a, a, a balloon had been released from the airport, a weather balloon. But the weather balloons at that time were, were, were black. They weren't white or, or, or you know, the kind of like translucent color. Um, so he wouldn't have seen it. And then they try to say, oh, well, you're looking at, um, at stars, but actually the light to start with was below him. So there was a lot of information in regarding this, this case which didn't add up. Not in a bad way, just didn't add, it added, it actually added up to a mystery. And it, it's really compelling because the fact that it's not just somebody seeing a light in the sky that moves or seeing a kind of object that they can't work out. It's the fact that it actually interacts with him to a certain degree and the fact that there's an element of danger involved as well. But thankfully, in this case, rather than the Mantel case, he actually manages to survive and he walks away from the incident. And they checked the aircraft out, they checked the instruments out, he was obviously interrogated, you know, they did all the, the investigators did all their due diligence, but they couldn't find anything, bar the fact that they tried to write it off as a weather balloon. So it's one of those things that just becomes completely unexplained. They did try to actually say that it might have been a Canadian Air Force vampire jet, but why was a Canadian Air Force aircraft coming over the border? Um, and the Canadian Air Force said, well, no, we have not any aircraft that did that. So it's a, it's a real, real mystery. Well, it's interesting how you have these uh, the skeptics who 
will come up, try to come up with any kind of explanation except what the pilot actually experienced. That's just, oh, well, you know, that, it just sounds too crazy, so obviously it didn't happen. Yeah, well, that happens today as well. That's happened throughout, you know, from 1948 onwards. Every time, a, a, like a highly trained, uh, your professional observer, like a pilot, has come along and said, look, I saw this, I saw that. There's always been a try, uh, an attempt to say, well, actually, you saw this instead. But if that's the case, why didn't they see these things all the time? Why weren't they, you know, why didn't the pilot come along and say, oh, yes, well, I've seen weather balloons this wasn't that. This wasn't a weather balloon. Um, and a lot of the times they're adamant that what the, the Blue Book and, and the other uh, Grudge and, and Sign was saying these things were, they're totally adamant that no, it wasn't. Uh, because if it was, I would recognize what that was. Oh, I remember seeing some well-known skeptic, and I'm going to leave his name out of the conversation here on, on television one time, just outright state that uh, pilots are not good observers of what's going on around them. And it just, you know, and, and other people have said this as well, but you know, at the time it made me think, well, why are they pilots if they're not well, good observers? You, you Especially military pilots. You have something called situational awareness. They have to know what's around them. And a, and, a, and a military pilot, especially a combat pilot, not only has to look at their instruments and also what's in front of them, but they have to almost know what's around them as well. So they're highly switched on in terms of what's happening in and around the airspace they're flying in. Um, you know, they would get shot down really quickly. Uh, they wouldn't last five minutes in, in, in an engagement if they didn't have that awareness of what was happening. So, you know, and also to try and say that a, a highly trained pilot, even back in those days, you know, didn't know the difference between like a weather balloon or another aircraft and something that they couldn't identify. It's just, you know, it, it just leaves a bit of taste in the mouth, really. And I'm sure the pilots back then, when they found out that this is what was being said about what they saw, if they ever got the information that is, I'm sure they wouldn't have been amused. I think a lot of people uh, don't realize just, uh, and as you stated, how similar this situation was to the Mantell case, uh, with the exceptions that uh, this pilot managed to survive. In terms of the Mantell case, I mean, obviously, there's a lot that we don't know about that. We have um, the information from the two surviving pilots who were in the formation with him when they were chasing after whatever this thing was they were going after. But then also we have um, the, the voice communications from the tower at Godman Field because they were in radio contract with the three aircraft. Um, and also there's a little bit of kind of contradiction in terms of what the surviving pilots said about what their oxygen was like and how they were. And one one of the pilots said he had problems with his oxygen at something like 12,000 feet. But then they said they went up to 20,000 feet before they turned back. Now. Um, so there's some there's some bits of that story that don't add up with the the information that we're left with, and it's it's only a real shame. Not only is it a personal tragedy for the Mantell family, um, but also the fact that we can't you know we can't speak to him or we, we haven't had any kind of information from him to be able to try and find out what actually happened um, you know, to miss, to fill in the blanks for that case, uh, because it's a really you know, compelling story in so much as what they were following, because people had seen an object 
not just at Godman Field when the four aircraft were asked to go after this thing, but they'd been, it'd been seen in other parts of Kentucky and also in Ohio the same day. So there was definitely something that was in and around that area that people were seeing and reporting, but it only was just uh, the kind of coincidence that the, the tower at Godman Field in Kentucky had, um, you know, had seen it themselves at the time these four aircraft happened to be flying through their airspace, and they said, look, you have to go and investigate this. And obviously that led to the tragedy with uh, Thomas Mantell. Well, in both of these cases, though, you had the kind of official, I'll put quotation marks around that, official explanation that uh, the pilots were chasing a weather balloon. That's right, yes. In terms of Mantel, it was also Venus. That was also put put forward as, a, as an explanation. And then that was rescinded. Uh, but the weather balloon uh, story stuck. It, it was alleged by, uh, or it was suggested by um, somebody who worked at, I think it was the University of Nashville, that they'd seen a, a weather balloon, but it was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then... Um, Edward Ruppelt came along a lot later and said, well, it was probably a skyhook balloon. And that was where the, the secret U.S. Navy uh, project for putting instrument packages uh, underneath their high-altitude research balloons. Um, and they said that it, it, he stip, uh, postulated that um, there'd been one of these things had been launched from, I believe it was somewhere across the border um, from Kentucky, just to the north. And it had drifted over that particular part of the airspace uh, of southern Kentucky, and that's where it had been seen. But... Uh, somebody who was uh, 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 some scientist or a professor who was actually engaged in this project had came along afterwards and said, well, actually, where, your, where Ruppelt said this balloon should have been launched from, they didn't even launch them in 1948. It was only much later, in much later years, when they actually used that particular site. So what Ruppelt was saying, or what he was suggesting, didn't add up either. So you know, there were various attempts to try and rubbish, not just the Mantel case, but a lot of other cases back then. But it was a kind of, you know, they were find one particular part of a case and go, oh, well, we can explain that. But then, and that's how they would do it. And they would, they would just write off the rest of it because they could, they could possibly solve or suggest something that would fit one bit of it. But it didn't necessarily mean that the, whole, the rest of the case you know, was solved because a lot of it, the rest of it just didn't add up. We're going to add this up and then get back with Graham Randall to talk about the vintage UFO sightings. With Gene and Tim, you're in The Paddycast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com 
Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com gcnfood.com Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Graham, it's kind of interesting about Captain Rupub because he was a mixed bag. At the end of the day, he, in his first edition of his book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, indicated the pretty strong possibility of UFOs being real, possibly spaceships. Then he writes three new chapters. And in answer to the question whether he believes UFOs exist, he said, I'm positive they don't. The typical Air Force line. The thing that made it crazier is that he was friendly with Major Donald Kehoe, 
a pro-UFO advocate, a crime or fiction writer, and a writer on aviation. He wrote some very positive pro-UFO books. Now, when it came to Ruppelt, he said that the Air Force had put great pressure on Ruppelt to revise the book to make it more negative. That's one thing. Unfortunately, Ruppelt died at the age of 37 from a heart condition, and so he didn't stay around to answer those questions. So we just have the speculation. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Ruppelt, obviously, his association with UFO investigations actually predated, um, you know, the formation of Blue Book in, was it March 1952? He'd also been involved with Grudge, or what they, what he called New Grudge, I think, in, in towards the end of 1951. Grudge was a base, you know, that was the, the, the one that came along after Project Sign, which was in 1948. And Project Sign was basically effectively strangled at birth because their, their estimate of the situation, if you like, when they tried to work out what was going on in terms of all these reports they weren't sure they didn't come down on heavily on look they're just weather balloons they're venus all this kind of thing that they left the door open for a lot of things and that was knocked down by senior u.s and air force people because that wasn't what they wanted to hear but also they didn't have any evidence for it as well so grudge was then um, basically put in its place if you like to do the investigations but with the kind of background of we're going to have to work out what these are and these are something we can explain rather than we don't know what these are um so it was always almost like a flawed premise and when rupelt came along grudge only had a couple of people i think working on it it wasn't that big a program and the filing was i think a bit chaotic and they were and they weren't keeping on top of a lot of the investigations anyway and i think rupel probably came along as a maybe a new broom and he had new ideas in terms of what they needed to do he might not have been a kind of enthusiast or a believer but he wasn't a skeptic either i think he was somewhere in between at least in the early days um and he was uh, maybe just someone who genuinely wanted to find out what was going on and he might have had ideas that the u.s air force may have come along and thought well okay yes you know you might be able to get somewhere with this and actually find out what they are hoping they are something mundane and we can just like terminate this whole business and get it out of the way is it fair to suggest that at least some of those early sightings that got lots of attention were, in fact, test aircraft, and the government possibly used the UFO or flying saucer connection to obscure that fact. I think things were misidentified, and there'll be no doubt about that. And whether it was because they used the UFO sightings or not as cover, then you know it doesn't really matter one way or another. But you know, especially if you're looking at civilian people who are, are looking at, at, at mystery objects, not they're not necessarily au fait with what you know certain types of aircraft look like, let alone experimental types. So no doubt people would see things that they didn't recognise, especially if they weren't used to saying jet aircraft, let's say in 1946 or even in 1947 in certain parts of the country and then of course when if you jump forward a little bit just take this conversation away from exactly what we're speaking about if you jump forward into the 50s when they were starting to experiment with the u2 spy plane then of course the air force would have been quite happy for sightings of something very very high altitude which you can't make out too well but look silvery and it might shine a bit and look quite you know quite odd they were quite happy to have those written off as UFO sightings because it obscured what they were really doing in, in this you know, high-tech, high-altitude spy plane. But if you go back to the 1940s, then yes, undoubtedly some people were mistaking weather balloons, even Venus and other planets, stars, all the rest of it, for, for flying saucers, because it was effectively a bandwagon to a certain extent. 
people were genuinely seeing things they couldn't understand, but also there would be a lot of copycats as well for looking for that five minutes of you know, fame and fortune. Uh, maybe they hoped and certainly get their name in the papers. So yes, there'd be a bit of, bit of both. But that's probably happened throughout, um, you know, the, the the next seven, eight decades that people, you get genuine sightings, but you also get people who misidentify things and you also get hoaxes because there were some of those as well. Going going back to the um, what you were saying about, you know, Kenneth Arnold really setting off the uh, the, the, the whole you know, media blitz when it came yeah. to uh, UFOs, you know, we know that you know people have been seeing you know uh, things in the sky for you know quite a, quite a, a number of years. I mean you, you know you have uh, uh, another whole book about the uh, Foo Fighters during uh, World War II. Uh, before Kenneth Arnold, you know, could it have been a possibility that you know people were seeing these things but weren't reporting it because of the war that you know you're 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 not going to go and uh, possibly say something to the press that you know maybe some kind of uh, of of wartime secret you know and this involves both military and civilians as well I mean, certainly in terms of, I mean, the Foo Fighters, I mean, a lot of people just think that's a phenomenon that lasted from November 1944 across to, to, uh, to the end of the war in Europe. Uh, but actually, um, the research I've done in terms of delving into, let's say, Royal Air Force records, it actually started a lot earlier. There's even uh, reports, intelligence reports from March 1940 of lights that followed bombers over Western Europe. So it goes a lot earlier. And they simply didn't know what they were back then. There was a lot of work done by um, Bomber Command's intelligence departments uh, to try, this is obviously the British side I'm talking about, because it's even before the Americans entered the war. But they're trying to do a lot of work to work out what these lights are that are following aircraft. They can't identify what they are. They almost write them off as being just figments of imagination in some, re in, in some respects. But they are quite persistent. And in some cases, they follow aircraft for two hundred up to 250 miles. And obviously, that's no small thing. And they're not night fighters because they don't attack the bombers. They don't open fire at them. They're simply lights. And they can't work it out. And we know now um, that the Germans didn't experiment with airborne searchlights or anything like that. So it's not easy to write the, uh, to simply explain these away as some kind of German secret technology. And they didn't have jet aircraft then. They didn't have rocket aircraft then in, in operation. They certainly didn't have the types of rockets that they had later, not just the V2, but the flak rockets. So um, I wrote a book about this and actually brought out a whole load of sighting reports from the RAF much earlier in the war, and not just 1940, but 1941, 1942, and the mid-war years, uh, and the stories of things that come up behind aircraft and the bombers open fire at them and nothing happens. Uh, and they fly around to the front of the aircraft and they open fire it again and nothing happens. Now, that's not German secret technology. That's something you're way above that. But we still don't know what they were. And when these bomber pilots and these bomber crews landed back at base and they reported this kind of thing to the intelligence officers in the debriefing, the, 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 the reply was, have you been drinking? So there was, a, there was almost a dismissive attitude by the people who should have been sitting at the take notice, even if it was just, well, this must be some kind of German technology, because actually that was the thrust of any kind of investigation. At the end of the war, they wrote it off as being jet fighters and flak rockets, neither of which were actually you know, used earlier in the war. Well, you know, the term, are you drinking, that complaint, that's been common over the years. 
whenever somebody reports UFO, what were you drinking? Of course, nowadays they say, what were you smoking? What kind of pills did you take? Because certainly I think with alcohol, you might get drunk, but you wouldn't imagine something flying in the sky and making pinpoint turns. I've never been drunk. I don't drink. I'm one of those rare people who has no clue about it. But air, airline pilots, they can't. They have a, a bottle you know, in, in military pilots. They have what they call a bottle, a throttle rule. So, you know, they have a certain time that they're not allowed to drink between, uh, you know, the last drink and when they fly. So it, it's very important that, you know, they're sober when they're, they're say, flying a, a, an airliner full of hundreds of passengers or they're flying a military aircraft with potential, you know, with live uh, ammunition and bombs on board. And back in the war... You couldn't have pilots who were inebriated. You know, they couldn't carry out their missions. You had sobriety tests and all the rest of it. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't last long in the skies over Europe as a fighter pilot or as a bomber pilot or a crew if you were drunk. Uh, it, it just didn't work. So, but that was, of course, somebody sitting on the ground who was a staff officer who, you know, their job was just to interrogate the, the crews when they came back to base. And the things they would normally ask them would be, have you seen any night fighters? You know, what was a flak like? Did you drop your bombs on time? All this kind of thing. And then, of course, when the, when the pilot turns around with this big, this huge, crazy story about strange lights coming up behind their aircraft, well, they've got no answer to that. And it, the question, it's, it's a big laugh. And it's, oh, you know, have you been drinking or, or you know, you know, do, do you need to lie down, old man? This kind of thing, you know? So there was a lot of that went on. We've got Graham talking about vintage early UFO sightings and more with Gene and with Tim. You're in the Pedicast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Do you ever get the feeling that the world is being held together with duct tape? Every day we're thrown some new meaningless drama in the fake news to distract us from the reality we're all about to face. Between the government trying to print their way out of debt, military conflicts, the disintegration of our most trusted institutions, and a looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice. It's a necessity. You can trust My Patriot Supply. Our emergency food kits come packed with tasty meals, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one kit for each person in your family. Self-reliance is the only alternative to government food lines. Time is running out. Become ungovernable. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and save on dozens of different emergency food kits while you can. These kits are in stock, ship fast, and arrive in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next crisis strikes. 
MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So Graham Randall joining us this week from his home in the UK. I won't say palatial estate because I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's I'm in an underground much. bunker. I'm in an underground bunker, actually. But seriously speaking here, we're exploring these cases, the discussions where you're drinking, what's going on and all that. Anything, I guess, to attack the credibility of the witness. Oh, certainly, yeah. If they couldn't explain things, then the, you know you play the man, not the ball, kind of thing. So it was. If they couldn't work it out, then it was easier just to attack the credibility of the witness and just say, well, actually, you were seeing things. You didn't know what you were seeing, or you were seeing you misidentified something. And of course, that's been that's been you know, the way ever since these sightings began. Um, but when you get records involved, then it becomes a different thing. So when things are written down, um, and actually as early as, say, 19, November 1942, there was a particular case that happened over northern Italy where a bomber pilot, or a bomber crew rather, saw strange, and they, they described it as a two or three hundred foot long uh, cylindrical object over the Alps uh, in northern Italy. And they reported it when they got back to base. And actually, this time it was taken seriously. The, not only did their squadron commander uh, write a report to go up to his immediate um, um, superiors, but they passed it on to the head of Bomber Command as well because they fa- felt that there was some kind of you know, interest and some mileage in this, stu- in, this, in this report because they literally didn't know what to make of it. But for once, they didn't dismiss it out of hand. And the report that goes forward says the crew are adamant. They're sticking to their story. So, you know, there, were, there was sort of light at the end of the tunnel in certain times, but we don't, for that particular case, it didn't seem to go anywhere after it went up to the higher echelons of RAF Bomber Command. There's no record of any follow-up interrogation or any analysis. It just seems to stop. So maybe it, w- it hit a brick wall like a lot of things back then did. Did you uh, have you looked into uh, any of the stories uh, that uh, allegedly the uh, the Italian government uh, during World War II actually uh, got very serious into investigating the uh, UFO phenomena? So, are, are you talking about the ni- early nineteen thirties? Uh, it was nineteen thirty-one and nineteen thirty-three. So, I have. Yeah, I, I've heard about this, and I know some people who are really into the into this, and I've heard Luis Elizondo talk about this as well. Uh, he, he's hint, you know he's um, sort of touched on that uh, about how intriguing it is, and and I've heard there's been investigations done into the, the what the newspaper the the um, the the quality of the paper or the you know whether it was in use at the time or not, and the language that's used in the telegrams, etc. Um, my only concern is that it doesn't seem to fit into everything else that was happening uh, in terms of World War Two. There's talk of you know whatever was found was shipped off to America, and I just wonder why the Italians would ship something to America in in 1931, 1933 or something when they're a fascist nation uh, and they don't seem to have any obvious links with America, um, and also they're shortly to become allied with the Germans within within a decade. Um, it doesn't seem to make sense. And then of course you get a bit later when they are allied with the Germans with the Axis Pact, and then there's talk about um, Italian scientists looking. At flying discs 
and that information being passed to the Germans. But I've looked into that, and I looked into that for the Foo Fighters book, and I can't find any substance to it. So I'm, I'm tempted to take all these stories with a, with a huge pinch of salt until more information comes along, which you know would then change my mind in terms of saying, yeah, this is much, much more definite. At the moment, to me, it's a very intriguing story, but that's as far as I'm prepared to go. Of course, it's been common over the years to say that possible wreckage of UFOs, possible evidence is sent along to the U.S. government. Obviously, we have the Roswell case, which we'll talk about in a moment, the R word, as we call it here. And then, of course, there is the 1996 UFO crash and creature sightings in Virginia, Brazil that are being featured, by the way, in the movie called Moment of Contact, directed by James Fox. Of course, James is an old friend of the show. He was on just a few weeks ago about it. So that gets to be, like I said, the usual excuse there. But since I brought up the R word, Roswell, you do have some coverage of that. And I know it gets to be a little bit too much, but I'm always interested in maybe something new. What's your take on it? So when I first heard about Roswell, which is obviously like a lot of people, you know, when the, the Roswell incident book came out, it was in 1980 or 19, um, in, in the early 1980s. And it was one of these things where it was, wow, you know, what is all this information? You know, where's this come from? Uh, how, how amazing is this story, if it's true? And, but then as times went on and people have investigated further, there's more witnesses come forward. But some of the witnesses who have come forward turn out to be, you know, not, they're not witnesses at all. They're, they're, they're hoaxers. Uh, they're people who are, are throwing, you know, sort of uh, shade into the story. And people like Kevin Randall, who have um, who investigated you know, Roswell almost to death, if you like, they almost seem to be in the opinion that, you know, they're worse off than when they started investigating it. It seems that there's more noise now, there's less signal in terms of you know, the story. So you have people who have just muddied the waters and they've thrown things into the mix which don't make sense. So I'm left now after, once it's like 40 years after first hearing about it, to the point of where I just don't know. You know, there's clearly something to the story, but what the core of the truth is about the story, was it a, something that crashed? Was it something, you know, from outer space? Was it something that was secret um, American technology? Was it something in between? You know, I just don't know, Gene. I really don't know. And I wish I did, because I was so enthused about the story when it first came out. But as I've got sort of, you know, this 40 years down the line, I'm a bit more, I suppose the word's jaded about it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a bit more, not sceptical, I'm just a bit kind of, I'm not tired either by it, but it just seems that every new bit of information comes along, doesn't seem to go anywhere. Um, there was the talk about the diaries a little while ago, which didn't seem to add that much to the story, if anything. And then we've had people like Frank Kaufman that came along, and there's a few other people who turned out not to be witnesses. And then you have the story of, um, of the mortuary attendant who came up with a nurse's name, uh, and of course that was tracked down. Well, it wasn't tracked down because he gave a false name. Uh, because he he, said, he he turned around and said, well, I'll give you a false name because I just wanted to give you a name. Um, and that, of course, that cast credibility on his story about the small coffins. So, you know, I'm left thinking, you know, I just don't know. And it's a shame, really, because I would love it to be one of these more, um, you know, sort of cut and dried cases. But it's like a lot of things in ufology. It's, you know, it's very blurry and we simply just don't know. Well, the problem, of course, with Roswell is it came and went. First day, flying disc crashes. Then it's just a balloon, and it disappears, except for a similar story 
From the book Behind the Flying Saucers from Frank Scully, a gossip columnist, by the way, he wasn't an investigative journalist, which some have suggested. And he brings up this case in Aztec, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. But he got that story from two con men. Okay. And it's something that rears its ugly head every so often. People are brought up, but the evidence is threadbare. The book sold well, but then I'm thinking here, over the years, people may have read about this, and it's kind of drifts in their mind, and even if they saw the original Roswell, that helps corrupt the memories. And suddenly, 30 years later, people are clamoring for evidence of Roswell. The witnesses to the event in terms of the alleged recovery and all that discovery, they've lived their lives for 30 years and maybe didn't think anything of it. And suddenly they are being asked to recall what happened. And you think of all the things that intervened and you realize that story was already corrupted, already messed up before it got publicized in the book by Moore and Berlitz. So for those of you who are new to the Paracast, we have a second show. It's called After the Paracast. It's uncensored and also commercial-free. And, listeners, if you subscribe to our streaming service, which is called the Paracast Plus, that's the Paracast Plus. Go to theparacast.plus for more info. And by the way, Graham Rendell will be back for further discussions on After the Paracast. You can find out more information if you go to theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. This is certainly something you, neighbors, will not want to miss. We've got Graham and Gene and Tim. You're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Do you ever get the feeling that the world is being held together with duct tape? Every day we're thrown some new meaningless drama in the fake news to distract us from the reality we're all about to face. Between the government trying to print their way out of debt, military conflicts, the disintegration of our most trusted institutions, and a looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice. It's a necessity. You can trust my Patriot Supply. Our emergency food kits come packed with tasty meals, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one kit for each person in your family. Self-reliance is the only alternative to government food lines. Time is running out. Become ungovernable. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and save on dozens of different emergency food kits while you can. These kits are in stock, ship fast, and arrive in unmarked boxes for your privacy. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next crisis strikes. MyPatriotSupply.com Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNLoans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNLoans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNLoans.com. That's GCNLoans.com. Tejibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, Graham Rendell, I presume you probably agree with me that one of the difficulties in understanding Roswell is the fact that the memories were so corrupted over the years. It's certainly a long time ago. I mean, even when Jesse Marcel came out of the shadows, if you like, what was it, 1978, and started speaking to people, that was obviously 31 years since it had occurred. So, you know, a lot, as you say, a lot can happen in that time and memories can fade, but also you can you can jumble up events in your mind and, and you have an idea of what happened, but sometimes it's not necessarily exactly what did happen. Uh, and as you say, trying to get people to recall what had happened back then, and of course people would have died in the intervening time as well, so you lose witnesses. And now, of course, we're even further away from, from 1947. And most, if not all, of the actual witnesses to whatever did happen have passed away. So we're only going on basically what the, what information they've said and was recorded at the time they said it. And we don't know how truthful ever or how accurate you know, with the best of intentions of uh, what they came out with this information, how truthful it all was and how accurate it was. And of course, we had a picture built up in the in the 80s and 90s. But then it, some of it gets knocked down because some of the people who were telling the story have proven to be telling lies effectively. Um, so 
it's very, very muddy in terms of the story. We have parts of it, but we don't have all of it. And it's not helped by the fact, as you said, that in the space of 24 hours, that story turned from flying disc being recovered by Army Air Force to it's a weather balloon. And then it just dropped out of sight and nobody almost, unless anybody's got information to the contrary, but that story just didn't appear for 31 years. Uh, it wasn't really talked about uh, and you don't see it you know, in books at all. Um, it just seemed that people, well, it got strangled at birth, that story. So it, it's, it's really weird. But then when it did kick off, Again, it was one of those things that seemed like, you know, touch a nerve. It was something that had a lot of legs to it, the story, and it ran and ran and ran. And Steve, today, people pick up on Roswell if they come to this subject for the first time, and they're actually blown away by the possibilities that it, it sort of, you know, stirs up. But it's unfortunate, once again, that so much garbage has arisen about Roswell and it's, of course, people not remembering, people wanting to get in on the action, especially mm. we've got best-selling books, we have Burlitz, more, we have others. Then we have the hoaxes like MJ-12, documents that <laughs> allegedly indicate a group within the government investigating crashes such as Roswell. And that, of course, was a complete 24-carat fake. But some people, such as the late Stanton Friedman, maintained till the end of their days that it was something genuine. In other words, Roswell became something interesting and then because of MJ-12 and other events became something that you've got to distrust what may have happened. Do you have a feeling, Graham, as to what might have gone on then? You know, I've heard like the story about the crash, and I've heard the the, the story or the counter stories about no, it was just um, you know um, a weather balloon, or then it was a Project Mogul. I've heard stories about it was Soviet flying discs with little men in them, all this kind of stuff to try and you know to to do whatever to try and sow uh, distrust or something amongst you know all, all this kind of all these other stories I've heard, and I get the point now where forty years or so after I've heard first heard this story that I'm worse off than I was when I first heard it in terms of I simply don't know what's happening. Um, and I don't think I'm going to get to a point unless there's some huge revelation somewhere, unless somebody finds a repository of, of documentation that actually is cast iron, that actually proves something did happen, uh, that, you know, that whichever story it is, that I'm not, I think in my lifetime, I'm never, ever going to get to the bottom of that. And I don't think a lot of other people are. And I think what, the further we get away from that, from 1947, I think the worse it's going to be. Um, and, you know, I, I pity the people who have spent so much time and effort you know, sort of trying to investigate it, because actually, even after all the time and effort they've put in, um, they're, they're, they're simply, I don't think they're any further forward than when we first heard about it in terms of actually, you know, yes, that's definitely the truth. It, it's just, but it's, but it's still one of those enduring stories, and I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's always going to be a part of ufology. But in terms of trying to tell a story about, you know, the dawn of the flying saucers, as I say in the book, I can't fit Roswell in to everything else that was going around at the time because it's one of those outliers. It doesn't seem to fit in quite neatly without what everything else was going on and all the investigations, etc. You know, why were, the, why were the US Air Force doing investigations when they already had the truth with them, if that's the case? It, something doesn't add up as well. So I've got that to consider. Did you find any evidence at all of credible crashes of UFOs during that early period? No, um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm like everybody else. You know, there's information um, and there's information and, and there's details that make you 
either believe or want to believe that things happened back then. But in terms of cast iron evidence saying this is something I can you know, bet my life on, bet my house on, no, I'm afraid not. Uh, and, but there are plenty of stories. And of course, there are plenty of stories beyond that. But no, nothing that I would you know, sort of sell my soul about, I'm afraid. Well, part of the problem also with Roswell is it became part of pop culture. Movies. The X-Files constantly refers to Roswell. The movie from 1996, the space opera, sci-fi, popcorn film, Independence Day. Aliens are trying to destroy humans. And, of course, Roswell. Of course, it was referred to in the movie as Roswell. (laughs) Judd Hirsch. (laughs) Judd Hirsch playing a Jewish retiree cliché. Says, ah, in Roswell, you knew then. <laughs> yes, that's true. It, it, you're right, it's permeated the culture. And if you ask anybody, even if they're not interested in UFOs, to name something about the subject, and chances are, if they mention anything, it will be Roswell, because that'll be the thing they've heard about. Um, so, if anything, it's great that that's still managed to permeate people's you know, subconscious in a way, and that's the bit they latch on to. But um, I don't want to come across as being like a sceptic, because I'm not. Uh, I'm open-minded about the whole thing. Um, but it's just one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm left with more questions than I've got answers for, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm sure everybody else has as well. The problem is some people regard that as the linchpin of UFO reality. Mm-hmm. And even if it was, that doesn't jibe with all the other sightings. And, of course, I also see the contradictions about Roswell. For example, advanced alien beings send spacecraft here, can outmaneuver anything we have. But one crashes, and we have silly stories like, well, our radar brought it down. I thought, this is a race of beings 500, 1,000 years or beyond, more advanced than we are, and a primitive radar brings it down. Give me a break. And then the other theory is here, well, if something really crashed, and you were the head of your fleet, and you've got a number of spaceships here, and one of your craft crashes. And imagine what we would do if something with advanced technology crashed in another country. What would we want to do? Number one, certainly recover the bodies if we care about such things. We don't know about ET. But recover the craft. Why? Because we don't want our technology to get in the hands of those primitive warlike earthlings. Let's recover it. So allowing, one, the crash to happen, two, not trying to recover it, that doesn't make logical sense. Not that I understand the logic of aliens. We've got more with Graham and Gene and Tim. You're in the Pedicast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. 
Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. Former President Donald Trump gearing up for another run at the White House. Everyone in this room shares the one key mission. We're going to defeat Joe Biden, defeat Joe Biden and the radical Democrats. These are radical left people. In his first video comments and suffering cardiac arrest, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin said he would not have made it through the toughest moments and the toughest times without the support from all over the world. The first fatal shark attack of the year has been reported off the coast of Mexico after a man that was diving for shellfish was reportedly decapitated after a 19-foot great white shark attacked. An incident between two people at a Massachusetts mall has left one person, an innocent bystander, dead. That confrontation between two people at the Holyoke Mall at Ingleside last night, a suspect is in custody. Corey Myers, USA News. I need answers to my tax questions. Where can I find them? Need answers? Try our interactive tax assistant on irs.gov forward slash ITA. Simply select your tax questions, provide your information, and it gives you answers. Also, check our help and resources page and try our online tax map. 5,000 tax topics from A to Z. Plus, you can access forms, publications in a variety of formats. Both my legs were amputated due to an IED. It's when you start to try to get back into, like, an everyday life. I absolutely felt like I lost some of my purpose. There must be something more. When DAV came into my life, they gave me a new mission. I could still be a productive member of society, could still support a family. The DAV gave him that sense of structure and purpose again to get his life back together. Visit DAV.org to learn more about our mission. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. Hi, this is Tracy Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Continued my rant, of course, I come up with the wacky theories every so often. And one of them is that with Roswell, the reason we don't hear about the 
crashed spaceship is that it was recovered already by E.T. And that's the deep, dark secret. But then I'm just making it all up. Graham, let's continue exploring the ancient or older vintage sightings, shall we? Yeah, that's great. I mean, in terms of the third thing about Roswell could be, you know, the theory could be they came along and blew it up so that we couldn't investigate it. But it just seems to me that, I don't know, we, we might have heard something by now, or there was somebody who would have leaked something that it would have been a bit more than what we've heard already. But it just, I guess, if my only kind of feelings about if they have recovered something, and it's a big if, is that, yes, okay, they've put it somewhere out of the reach of everybody, bar some selected scientists who are allowed to look at it. And they, back in those days, the scientists looked at it and they couldn't work it out. So they put it to one side and they go, well, we'll have a look at it in five years' time when you know we understand a bit more about science in general. And then five years later, they go and send somebody and have a look at it again. And they still scratch their head and they still think, well, don't can't work this out either. And that cycle continues. And it may even be continuing today that they have teams of scientists every so often look at this and maybe other things that might have fallen out the skies, who knows, but they're still scratching their heads. Well, of course, I think about Warehouse 13, the TV show, about <laughs> places around the world where they store valuable, strange artifacts. And then the scene yeah. from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Ark of the Covenant is placed in this dusty warehouse. You know, never been yeah. to be checked again. And with Roswell, if there was a spaceship there, could it have been placed in this mythical Warehouse 13? And because they don't understand it, as you go through generations of scientists and engineers and military people, the original event is largely forgotten, buried under millions and millions and millions of pages of top secret documents, and nobody knows a thing. And we're learning today, of course, with the alleged scandals with Trump, Biden and Pence, that it's very easy for an occasional top secret document to get lost or mixed. But that also the U.S. military, I don't know about the U.K., the U.S. military, basically anything there's an excuse for is classified. And if you've got all this classified stuff going on, you never know what you have and you never know what's important and what isn't. You're being buried in nonsense. Very true. I mean, the UK obviously quite good at uh, classifying things and, and putting things out of reach. You mentioned radar before, though, Gene. You know how, how it was strange that something fell out of the sky uh, because it might have been affected by radar. Well, of course, the radar in 1947 wasn't much removed from what it had been during World War Two. So why weren't things falling out of the sky in World War Two? Because obviously, you know, strange things were being seen back then. But also, why haven't things been falling out of the sky on a regular basis since 1947? Because the radar has been getting better. So you'd have thought that, you know, a primitive radar, was it just primitive radar that was knocking things out of the sky? Well, why wouldn't more sophisticated radar do the same? So it's, it's just, it's very, very weird. But yeah, going back to, you know, military secrets, militaries are pretty good at keeping secrets, but governments aren't necessarily good at keeping secrets. We all think that the government, you know, or your government, our and my government, the UK, are, are brilliant at clamping down on stuff, but actually, no, they're not. Usually, they think they are, and people think they are, but actually, governments tend to be incompetent. Um, certainly ours is, as far as I can see from recent times. And things do leak. Uh, you know, documents get leaked for various reasons. And I'm sure that's the, st- the, the same in the States as well. So information should come out if there was any huge cover-up. But I'm, I'm, I don't doubt that some things are locked away for the best of intentions. 
Whether it's because of uh, the types of collective pl uh, collecting platforms they use to get information uh, and they don't want that, the capabilities that they have leaking out, or whether it's because they have some kind of small-scale cover-up going on to try and you know, hide whatever that, that they've discovered or, or whatever they found. But it may be the fact that they don't know what they're looking at. They just don't want people to know they don't know because they're embarrassed as well. Because who wants to admit that they've got an intelligence failure? Well, the other thing about this is that each soldier, each government leader, they work within the four corners of their mandate. They have a top-secret clearance for this, that, and the other thing. And they have to work within that because they do not have the need to know. It's compartmentalized. So something like a UFO secret may be kept amongst two or three compartments, say. And as you go from generation to generation, this information is lost, buried under a ton of nonsense or current events that require immediate importance. So we may even have the secret of the saucers somewhere, but it's all basically buried under this avalanche of nonsense and will never recover it unless somebody comes forth and says, go here, go to this room, go to this file cabinet, there it is. Yeah, very true. And also you have to wonder... The, the gatekeepers of the secret, if you like, you know, back in the days, if let's say Roswell did happen and there was some kind of small scale compartmentalized kind of faction that went, yeah, we're keeping this under, under lock and key. They must have had to pass that kind of knowledge on to somebody uh, when whoever was in charge of it retired or whatever. Um, so you just wonder, you know, if you pass it on to certain to successive people at some stage, that must that kind of need for secrecy either gets diluted and then it comes out. Or is it so important that they have to say, no, the new person has to keep it secret again? Because, you know, ideas do change and attitudes do change over time to a lot of issues, social issues, military issues, you name it, uh, political issues as well. So y you might think that after 78 years of people seeing these things, you know, we might be a bit more enlightened nowadays, but maybe I'm wrong. I often wonder if... Uh those secrets are actually passed down to uh, uh, the next person in command. You know, I mean, considering uh, that uh, uh, how how compartmentalized this can be, I could see somebody retiring and be like, "Now it's it's going no further than me. You know, it's locked, locked away in that warehouse. Forget about it. You're not going to know." <laughs> I, I guess the um, when if you go back to the congressional hearings, what was it back in May last year, and the two. I'll, I'll use the inverted commas, experts who were put up. And one of them was that, or they were asked about um, the Malmstrom incident, was it in 1970, uh, where the, mm -hmm. the, the nukes were shut down, the nuclear missiles were shut down in their silos by something that was hovering over the base. And they, they said, or they professed to have no knowledge of it. So, yes, I can imagine that people nowadays working on this kind of thing may ha or, you know, have no knowledge of older cases. Um, but you would think, you know, there would be some way, even they must have some kind of peripheral knowledge surely of things that happened back then because all you've got to do is read a book or look at the internet and you can you can get this information really easily uh it, you know it might not be in depth but certainly you get an overview of what's happened in the past now things like major kehoe's books for example i know at least some of them are freely available online i'm not sure about rupel's book but you can learn quite a bit of information about the early cases or at least how they were interpreted way back when so it's not as if they couldn't find the information. It's as if their mandate is the military sightings. Civilian sightings, we don't care about those. And then, of course, if you look at the Pentagon UFO research, every year 
with the new budget, the new military and Pentagon budgets, they changed the name of the organization. It's like starting over every year, so there's never continuity, except for this core base of sightings. So basically, they'll never know anything because as soon as they know something, well, we now have a new budget, and now let's call it something else. In fact, they've got a name for it now that makes no sense. I'm not going to even repeat it or look it up. But that's another problem. Bureaucracy, inconsistency. It would be nice if the government, assuming they don't know a secret already, would set up something that's consistent from year to year to try to understand what's going on. But it looks like their only concern here, Graham, is to look for the possibility that another country is sending drones or test aircraft to us in the U.S., and that could represent a potential danger to national security. And if there is no danger to national security, and if the aliens have been here for decades and haven't hurt us at all, then it's out of sight, out of mind, because they don't have to confront any nasty truths. We've got Graham Rendell. He's written a book about the early days of the UFO saga with Gene and Tim. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R O C K O I D S.com. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why we now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. 
Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call them toll-free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach. The dead doctors don't lie guy says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. This is Jennifer Stein, executive producer of The Disclosure Dialogues. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Graham, I've been dropping lots of interesting speculation here. Maybe you don't think it's interesting. What's your take on it? I, I look at like, the, the history of ufology, and already there's been, what, five official stabs at trying to understand the UFO issue. So, 1948, you had Project Sign. From 1949 up to mid-1951, early 1952, you had Project Grudge. You had Project Blue Book from March 1952 through 1969, and then there's a bit of a gap, and then in 20, is it the end of 2020, um, December 2020, you have the UAP task force, which is set up, and they, they run on for a few months, um, and they come up with a report, and then the DOD, or the Department of Defense, come along and say, yes, we're gonna, we're gonna act on what you've said, and we'll set up a new body, which had, as you said, a completely crazy title AOI MSG which I'm not even going to try and remember what it said and now it's called Arrow which is um, I can't remember the exact title but it's something along the lines of the uh, Anomalous Resolution Office uh, that's part of the title and effectively it's like what the UAP task force did looking at military cases but they're doing it again if you like with a, with a new team so yes they've had five goes at this out in the open, who knows how many times they've actually tried to look at it in-house, and we may not even know about you know, investigations that they've actually tried to do, and maybe we're still not aware of them, but that might come to light at a later time. So it's not like they haven't tried, but they just seem every so often they get to a point where they run out of road or they run out of patience or they run out of political will and just stop it, and then they have to relearn the lessons again 10, 20, 30 years later in terms of the end of Blue Book and the beginning of the UAP task force. Back in the day, so 
back in Project Sign, Grudge and Blue Book, I think when it first kicked off, I think a lot of people who wanted it to be resolved were thinking that all these things would have red stars painted on them. And I'm pretty sure that certainly Grudge, a lot of it was focused on, we have to try and find some kind of foreign adversary uh, angle to this or write them off as Venus and, and um, you know, weather balloons and all this kind of thing. But I think genuinely at the start, they were quite worried that it might have been Russian because there was always that threat that, you know, it was um, that we're just on the other side of the pole or across the Bering Strait. And it was quite easy possibly for the Russians to send bombers over or maybe with the help of former Nazi tech, um, you know, technicians and scientists they might have been able to invent something better than the americans did with their german uh, and nazi scientists and technicians so there was always i'm sure there was always that fear and of course nowadays where as you've mentioned there's this theory or this uh, fear that the chinese or the russians or both are sending spy drones over U.S. Navy ships and over secret facilities and who knows where that they're wanting to try and get in the bottom of it. Now, I can understand that because from an intelligence point of view, you know, if they're, if they're not going to investigate, that's an intelligence failure. And the last thing a country like America wants to do is to fail because you don't want, let's say, for argument's sake, another 9-11 to happen because you've dropped the ball on working things out. Now, I'm not saying that the drones are going to be a 9-11, but you don't want an intelligence failure of that magnitude to happen. You don't want another Pearl Harbor. You know, you, you want to be prepared for anything that might happen. So I, I know why they're looking uh, in that respect, but that might be not what they're going to find. And they may come up again with more questions and answers. And are they going to have the, the political will are they going to have the military will? Are they going to have public support to carry on throwing money at something? Maybe to get nowhere, because Blue Book got nowhere within, what, you know, 17 years of existence. Is RO, the new, the new body, is that going to last 17 years? Quite frankly, I doubt it. Hey, you know, we also have to look at where this started. In 2017, December, there's an article in the New York Times about the Pentagon's secret UFO program. Now, let's go back to that. What happens here is the late Senator Harry Reid, who was once the Senate Majority Leader, is obviously interested in UFOs. His friend and a donor to his campaign, Robert Bigelow, very deeply interested in UFOs and paranormal phenomena, thinks that we are being visited by aliens. So Reid gets the Pentagon, working with Senator Stevens and then one other gentleman, to put $22 million into this project. Understand that $22 million in U.S. government parlance is like buying four toilet seats. It means <laughs> absolutely nothing. The U.S. is a mess in terms of military. We spend more money on the military than maybe the next 10 countries around the world. So I don't know where all that money goes, and we can argue that whether you're liberal, conservative, whatever, we can argue about efficiency. Don't just put money into something and have it be wasted. Anyway, so $22 million, a drop in the bucket, a pittance, is given to Bigelow to investigate. Bigelow was the only bidder, reportedly, on getting this money. So it's almost like a handout to him. In turn, Bigelow does this investigation. They come up with a report. They even paid MUFON which is the private UFO group that's the biggest one in the U.S., they paid MUFON to do investigations. That didn't turn out so well, but whatever. Point being here, that probably bred the creation of these groups. The New York Times runs several stories, the Washington Post, other publications, very serious about UFOs. And I think congressional leaders 
read about this and they spearheaded the inclusion of a UFO or Pentagon UFO study in the military budget. Otherwise, if it wasn't for the Times, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll have to mention two of the people who were instrumental in, in you know, making sure those videos were released in, in December 2017. So after the you know, the Bigelow kind of era came something called ORSAP, um, and we're getting into all these, uh, these, um, these initials again, but out of ORSAP came something called ATIP, which was the Advanced um, the Threat um, Identification Program. And the person behind, uh, well, was leading our director, that was one Luis Elizondo, a former Army co- uh, counterintelligence uh, officer. I've actually had lunch with, with, with Lou. He, he's, he's a really interesting chap. And together with Chris Mellon, who obviously was, uh, I believe, was he, uh, he was high up in um, intelligence in Obama's government and George W. Bush's government, I believe. The two of them somehow managed to get those videos out. And December 2017 was one of those kind of red letter days, if you like. It was one of those days where you, for people who are really interested in the in ufology it was like where were you that day when that story broke and i can remember sitting standing in my kitchen with my mobile phone just scrolling down this news story from the from the and just thinking wow how the heck have they managed to get these the, you know, this information out and looking at the um the, the to the stars academy's website and you could watch these these videos these three videos and it was absolutely mind-blowing that they'd managed to capture, not only that the U.S. Navy managed to capture this footage, and they didn't know what they were, but they were straight, almost straight out into the public realm, you know, not that long after they'd happened. Um, obviously, with a, I think one of the videos had been taken in maybe 2004, but some of the others had been taken a bit more recently. And they were, in terms of the gimbal footage, the, the, the object that they say is rotating, that was something that really not quite freaked me out, but it was just something that was almost, I don't have to use the word alien, not, I don't want to use it in an outer-worldly sense. It was just so odd that it made me sit up and take notice. And it was like, what is that thing? And I'm still none the wiser. Now, we have to also consider who wrote the article. One, of course, was the Pentagon correspondent from the New York Times. Then we have Ralph Blumenthal, who's an investigative reporter who won a Pulitzer for his coverage of the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. We have Leslie Kane who is a UFO researcher, in addition to being an investigative journalist, someone who's been in the Powercast many times. We also had Ralph on the show. And these three teamed together to do this story. The, By the way, the Pentagon reporter is Helene Cooper. You've probably heard her on cable TV news because she's still working for the Times covering that beat. And by having the three get together, they wrote this piece because it had Helene Cooper and, and Ralph Blumenthal's byline, in addition to Leslie's, it got substantial credibility. So whatever they wanted, they certainly accomplished. As for Louis Elizondo, he's interesting. I'd like to talk to him further about it because there's even a dispute. And this is, of course, the crazy UFO field generates this sort of thing. There's a dispute out there as to the exact position that he held within that organization. Some say he just worked there, others say he headed it. The Pentagon press people give contradictory stories. And he says, for example, that they've been trying to illegally delete his emails and to attack him in a way by implying he's being deceptive. So we would like to talk to him and see what insights he may have. The problem, however, with people like that is 
they may have known nothing zilch about UFOs before this. They may have insights about what's going on now, but the big problem I have with the Pentagon investigation all over again is there is no historical perspective. They're not looking at this in relation to decades of phenomena, just as something now. Now we have Graham and Gene and Tim, you're in. The Pentagast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, veterinarian and naturopathic physician. The Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy with an important message. Take charge of your health. Do not continue to blindly follow the system that has failed us all. I appreciate GCN listeners because you're open-minded and intelligent. If our system is so great, why is it that the United States, the USA, ranks nearly 60th worldwide in longevity and number one in obesity? All the while, we spend more money than all the other countries combined annually on unnecessary health care procedures and toxic drugs. It doesn't take much to get on track, not with the government or pharmaceutical companies, but rather you in control of your own health with a basic understanding of nutrition and supplementation. FDI Longevity has the finest quality health, sports, and energy supplements available. GCN listeners are invited to join our team of people who want to stay healthy well into old age. We are currently looking for specialists to represent FDI Longevity and save America. To buy products at wholesale prices or join our business team, go to GCNteam.com. That's GCNteam.com. Support GCN. Get healthy. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. By the way, listeners, Graham will stick with us for the After the Paracast premium podcast. For subscribers of the Paracast Plus, check the Paracast dot plus for more information about signing up. So you've heard me rant because this is the kind of topic where you want to rant. What's your take on it, Graham? Oh, if we're looking at the, the topic entirely, that I guess with the information that's coming out now, they're looking at modern day cases because that's what they've got the most records for. That's what they've got the maybe video for. That's what they've got um, sensor data for, if you like. So I can understand why the modern focus is on much more up-to-date uh, sightings because they've got information they can analyze. If they're looking back and they say they are going to look back to cases 
from 1945 onwards, they're going to have a much harder job. Not only because the information back then is what it's on paper, it's on paper files, it's on paper documents, but also there's so much of it, and it will be like a full-time job for you know, a team of people to be able to enter that kind of information into some kind of database, you know, or to some kind of records which they could use to to, to maybe find trends or, or to do some of the further analysis. Um, if you cast your mind back to uh, the 1950s and and when Blue Book commissioned Battelle, uh, the, the, the Battelle Institute, to actually do a computerized survey back then on punched card, uh, you know, through, through computers that way. They were only looking at, what, five years worth of data. And it took them absolutely ages to get that information, um, you know, prepared and analyzed. And obviously now I know we've got much more up-to-date computers, but you've still got to put the information in somehow. There is so much information in terms of flying saucer and UFO and all the rest of it, um, sightings and all the other things that have happened that it's a, yeah, I can imagine that's that's just the task beyond uh, a small team like Arrow. Much as they, they say they want to go back to previous cases, I'm not sure how it's possible. Now, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to do it. You made an interesting point uh, um, earlier in the program talking about how a lot of these uh, older government military you know investigations you know, like like Blue Book and Grudge just kind of eventually uh, petered out. Yeah. And you know I I wonder if we're just seeing history repeat itself with with all of the renewed interest nowadays that eventually it's 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 going to be the same situation where the information is just really it's just going to be uh, more of the same with with nothing conclusive and that you know the they're just going to shrug their shoulders and close it down i guess it depends on what the say the next couple of interim kind of uh, reports that they come out with say they've just republished a report or at least the unclassified section which mentioned that they had so many cases and like just over half of them had been identified but what they don't they didn't say was that if you add them all up uh, from 2021s as well then it was 510 cases in total and they'd only managed to identify something like um, a, a couple of hundred uh, which was less than half uh, the first time around it was one case out of 144 that they managed to identify and this time around it was about 300 and so odd cases and i think they managed to identify something like 170 180 of them so uh, you know the, the figures are, are changing but it'd be interesting to see what happens say next year when they when they bring out the report then and maybe you know they may go on to do another one and then if those numbers change in and they say oh well we can probably solve three quarters of them or 99 percent of them that i'm sure they'll just close it um because that's what they would do you know they would have done in the olden days whereas if they continue to come up with a significant number of cases where they simply haven't been able to assign any kind of explanation to them then they'll have to keep it going because for even just from an intelligence point of view They'll want to know what the what the answer is, even if it's something that to us doesn't add up. But if it's something they can sell to their superiors, then they'll probably be able to close it down. But you know, if they don't have the cases to do it, they'll have to keep it going. And that that's my opinion on it as to what you know how long it's going to last. Uh, but if you look back to you know the old cases, like in terms of Blue Book and, and Grudge and 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 Sign, then yes, um, certainly they got to the point where they went you know they pulled the plug on them. Well, the other thing, of course, we have to consider is this time out, NASA is also investigating the phenomenon 
Now, you think if this is something involving a possible national security threat with a drone or a test aircraft, how does a space agency get involved? Gene, are they actually investigating? Because as far as I understand it, they've allocated, what, $100,000, which in terms of NASA's budget, again, is probably like six toilet seats. Um, <laughs> they, aren't they, I think, I'm sure what they've said is that, that money is to go and look to see where, where they can look. It's not to do an investigation. So it's almost we're paying $100,000 to look to see where the filing cabinets are. And that's what that is. So it's not an investigation. It's just the pre- it's a prelude to an investigation. So are they going to turn up anything? Are they going to get to a point where, well, we haven't got any records and we're not going to do it? Uh, because it'll probably cost more money than $100,000. And would their scientists, would the people who work for NASA not want to send a probe to Mercury or would they not want to send a probe to, to, to Neptune or would they want to spend that money, you know, looking for UFOs? I can see where that argument would go. So, you know, I, I, they say, yeah, people say they're investigating, but I'm not entirely sure of the heart's in it, to be honest. And I'd be wrong, of course. Well, the most recent... Uh, release and of course then the uh, uh, the media headlines you know was saying that uh, you know the statement was along the lines of no evidence of aliens found which you know of course not you know uh, unless uh, they they actually happen to uh, you know shoot one down or it landed the, in you know their their backyard and they're able to get a, a hold of it you know of course not but that has been I guess right almost from the very beginning that pop culture expectation you know and and people tend to think that uh, you know in the uh, the uh, the late 40s that that's what the uh, military had immediately glommed onto was extraterrestrial but that's not the case as you had stated earlier there was really a lot of worry that this uh, that these could have been some kind of uh, aircraft from uh, the Soviet Union or even possibly um, some you know uh, uh, remnants of, of the Nazis hiding out in South America someplace. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, the the big thing was that the um, the, the the U.S. Air Force or the intelligence, their air intelligence, were looking for the Horton brothers. They there was two brothers in Germany during the war who um, developed a whole fl- uh, different types of flying wing aircraft. Uh, ones that were gliders, others that were driven by um, piston engines. And right at the end of the war, they had a design which was was powered by jet engines. And of course, the Americans managed to capture the third prototype, which still wasn't finished at the end of the war. Uh, the second prototype flew under jet power but crashed and, and the pilot was killed. That happened in February 45. So, the, but there was the um, there was always the, the fear that the plans or, or people who worked on, on actually building these things, not just the Hortons, um, but other people involved with the projects had actually been, um, you know, taken to Russia and that the Soviets were actually developing, you know, flying wing aircraft. And there's actually a document from the late 1940s uh, and it's quite a a serious military intelligence document that says that they have it on reliable authority that the Soviets were developing a fleet of 1,300 Horton night fighters. Well, it was all rubbish, of course, but that's what they believed at the time. Um, and whether they were being sold information that was wrong and, and they, they chose to believe it, I don't know. But, you know, they had it in their heads that somehow the Horton brothers, you know, some, um, 
either they were colluding with the Russians or information that they had been passed to them. But I cautioned the Hortons were in, in Britain in 1945 and 1946, and they were back in Germany in 47 in the West Zone, and then I think they travelled to Argentina afterwards. Um, so they were never you know, in the pay of the Russians, they never had any contact with the Russians. And that's not to say that information might have got to, to Russia, but through various agents, etc. But yes, you're right, Tim, there was this fear that the things that were being seen over America in you know, 47 and 48, 49, had red stars painted on them. You have to go back to 1946 with what they called the ghost rockets, which happened over uh, Sweden and Finland and some other parts of Europe as well, funnily enough. And back in, in those days, in 1946, um, U, um, US air intelligence thought they might be Russian attempts to fire rockets over, o- over Sweden as well. We'll have more of that discussion with Graham and Gene and Tim. You're in the Pentecost. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com stop aging now restore those joints boost your strength because it's official Nutramedical has released the most exciting powerful anti-aging supplement on the market dr bill deagle's red deer velvet dr has been approved by the u.s patent office imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense dr bill md discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb he or she does not deteriorate or physically age red deer velvet dr like the uterus provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com, that's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. 
I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or injured at work, you have rights and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer. And we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case. And they're so good, they stake their reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-509-4492-800-509-4492-800-509-4492. That's 800-509-4492. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, Graham, why don't you continue that thread for our listeners? Yeah, so... There was links between um, air intelligence in America and all from what was the uh, what they called ATIC, the, the, the air Inte- uh, technical air technology and um, intelligence center, uh, Wright Patterson in Ohio, and people who worked there had links with Swedish air force as well and they were trying to get information out the swedes to, as to what was going on over sweden because there were various reports of what they were calling rockets or and, and various other objects that were being seen in the skies over sweden and of course the south part of sweden is only 60 70 miles from the north of Ger- the north coast of germany and especially somewhere called pinamunda which happened to be where the the v2 rocket was developed during the war and also test fired and they thought that the, the russians had basically repurposed the base, the, the firing t- um, test stands and all the rest of it, to develop rockets that could be sent over Sweden. And of course, that might have been a threat to America if they, they developed the rockets that something that can maybe have flown even further. Now, as it happened, the Germans blew up the facilities of Pienemunde in February 1945, so there was actually nothing there for the Russians to do, uh, to use. And in fact, the Russians took everything they could find, and the technicians and the scientists, they took them back to Russia with them uh, after a while and they tried to develop their own rockets and they succeeded in getting a copy of the V2 um, in about 1948, 1949. So, yes, it did happen, but not in the way that people thought it did. And certainly, as far as most people can tell, whatever happened over Sweden wasn't Russian rocket experiments. In your book, and I'll I'll find the the page here really quick. Okay, it's on... uh page uh, uh, 27 you have a drawing of a uh, uh, a sighting that took place uh, what was that in december 1946 and boy that drawing looks an awful lot like a uh, a buzz bomb a nazi buzz bomb 
it does a bit. Yeah, I can I, I can see where you're coming from. And for, for yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's just a superficial. I mean, yeah. resemblance. But it's it's got it's. I mean, for for the listeners obviously who who can't see the drawing, it's got like a I suppose like a fuselage, and it's all, it's got no tail, but it's certainly got wings to it. Um, and yes, but who would be flying V ones over Sweden in those days? Uh, again, mm-hmm. you know, the facilities in in Pinamunda didn't exist to, to launch V ones from, uh, and and the the, the Russians had basically taken all that stuff back to Russia. The, the, the Brits had tested uh, or looked at V1s, but it was a dead-end technology. Um, you know, pulse jet technology wasn't going to go anywhere. You couldn't fly aircraft with it because a pulse jet can't get an aircraft off, off a runway. It doesn't deliver enough uh, power to get something airborne. You've got to have a, a catalyst. You've got to have a, a, something fired off a catapult, or you've got to have a, a, an air launch of something with a pulse jet because it, it doesn't deliver enough power in that fashion. So, as I say, it was a dead-end technology. The Americans did experiment with a copy of the, the V1 called the JB2 Loon, and the US Navy did those experiments, but that was in 1946, 1947, and it was well away from Sweden. Um, so, you know, you can't sort of write it off as that either. But this particular object that you're talking about that was seen by the uh, the Swedish Air Force crew, uh, yes, it, it's it's weird whatever it is, but it actually, what they just, they thought it might look like a, a twin boom aircraft, like a, like a, a Lockheed Lightning, uh, a P-38 Lightning, or, or one of the uh, Dutch Fokker G1 types of aircraft but um, they, they, they didn't know what it was but it was one of the few things that happened over Sweden that one just happened to be uh, a sighting by air crew there were other people who on the ground who saw very strange things as well but of course this book I wrote was about aerial encounters so I didn't include those well and a lot of the uh, um, the Swedish ghost rockets uh, uh, ended up reportedly in uh, lakes yeah, that's true. The, the, well, there's a lot of lakes in Sweden, though, and especially in, in southern Sweden. Uh, if you know, if anybody's ever been there or they've travelled around that area, you'll know what I mean. So it, it wouldn't be, you know, it'd be quite, uh, quite, quite probable that one or more of them would land up in a lake down there. Uh, but yes, you're right. It's, very strange and of course there's always been this strand of, of, of thinking about the there's a fascination by ufos with water um over the years there's been you know connections or people have tried to make connections with they're trying to scoop up water or there's some reason why they're, they're fascinated with water and now we have stories of um ufos potentially coming out of the water with these what they call transmedium objects where they either go in or come out of the water themselves so yeah it, there's always been this link somehow with, with water well talking about the uh um the 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 foo fighters um the reports the majority of the reports we have naturally come from you know the uh, allied end uh and they thought that they were dealing with some kind of of nazi secret weapon but um the axis uh were also having their own sightings of uh, yeah. foo fighters weren't they this is where it gets a little bit weird, though, Tim, because um, a lot of people have anecdotal evidence about the Germans seeing them. But when you delve deeper into it, you can't find that many cases and you can't mm. you can't find many cases that actually have any documentation attached to them. Now, when you look at the American side, and you look at the British side, you can find documentary. You know, you can you can find squadron logs that actually mention sightings. And there are even mentions of the words Foo Fighters because that was a name that actually passed into the parlance. 
But German records, I know a lot of them were destroyed at the end of the war, but there are still quite a lot of Luftwaffe records out there, albeit they were probably shipped across to America. But so it, it might be a question of the fact that just nobody's either had the time or the means to go through these and look at, to try and pull out uh, records of strange of strange sightings. But there are some, at least, and they're um, you know, stories by pilots who have come forward in, in the post-war years to say, that they that they saw strange things but unfortunately the numbers you can count them almost on two hands that they're very few and far between there are stories by uh, soviet pilots as well but i would treat some of those with a pinch of salt because unfortunately a lot of those stories came out in the kind of glasnost period of the early 1990s and that was a time and i speak from experience because i actually traveled around siberia in, 19, in, in summer 1992 and we basically got around the country by bribing people and uh, we had fixers who you know people would do things for money and of course there was a big thing back in the early 90s about uh, investigators and people coming across from america to russia to try and grab uh, the kgb ufo files and things like that and you can imagine people in russia thinking oh we can we can sell americans we can sell british these 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 records and if we don't have them we can make them up so I would treat stories coming from Russia, and not just because all the unpleasantness going now on now with Ukraine, but I would treat them with a, a big pinch of salt, because much of the, the information that came out of Russia doesn't have a lot of kind of the bits you'd like to see around these stories. So they don't have the, the units involved. So you can't trace you know, whether these squadrons or these regiments or whatever were where they said they were. You, you don't even know what type of aircraft some of these pilots were flying when they encountered these objects. Um, the stories, whilst they're quite descriptive, they're quite vague in the rest of the details. Now, of course, that might be just down to the, you know, the Russian kind of the penchant for secrecy over the years because of the kind of totalitarian state that they all lived in back then. But it, it, it just seems to me odd that they can't even come out with, well, I belong to such and such a squadron, because they would have known what that was. And, you know, in the 1990s, there wasn't the fear of retribution about coming out with information like that. So I'm a bit wary of some of the stories that came out of Russia, but the German ones, I'd love to see more. And I know people say, oh, well, the Germans saw them too, and I don't doubt it, but I want to see the evidence. We're going to have more evidence coming up with Graham, Jean, and Tim. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. USA News Update. 
Former President Trump making another run for the White House with rallies in New Hampshire and South Carolina. We will get critical race theory and other left-wing lunacy out of our military, and we will get it out of our classrooms, and we'll get it out fast. The Memphis Police Department has disbanded their Scorpion unit, a unit originally formed to help deal with escalating crime in the city. All five officers charged in the death of Tyree Nichols were members of that unit. At least six people were killed in upstate New York yesterday morning, three others injured when a truck collided with a bus on a highway on the Canadian border. Flooding in New Zealand so bad due to the torrential rain they're having, the airport had to close. That meant a flight from Dubai had to turn around and be sent back to where it came from. Those passengers on that plane for 13 hours and landed in the same place they took off. Corey Myers, USA News. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. Extendivite testimonials on Amazon are very informative. Here's just a few. Amazon customer. Five stars. Honestly, this stuff works. Nick. Easy to take capsules. For those who can't handle the liquid drops, easy to take Extendivite capsules do the same job. Karoka Fam. Works great. Like Extendivite very much. Seems to work as advertised. Thanks. Arlene. Five stars. Love this product, Extendivite. Terry W. Five stars. Can't say enough. Great product. Freya. Five stars. I just ordered another. To get your Extendivite today, go to Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Or call us at 1-877-928-8822. Extend your life with Extendivite. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. When you bring up Russia, of course, we have considered getting a person on here who can tell us about Russian UFO research, and then the Ukrainian war started and getting interesting contacts in Russia is difficult. China has had UFO investigations. Japan has had UFO investigations. China is also going to be difficult. Again, yes. And for the same reasons, obviously, because of you know, the Russia, they're, they're a very totalitarian state and also human rights uh, records. But we also have a beef about them, about what they're trying to do with Taiwan. So you can understand from the political situation that they're not the easiest people to try and deal with, uh, even just on a normal level, let, let alone 
trying to get information about UAP or UFOs from them. So, yeah, I can I can understand that. And, and places like North Korea as well. But also some other countries around the world where it's not necessarily in their nature to give out information just you know, because people ask for it. And the British are a bit like that as well. We have a, our government, our Ministry of Defence has a mantra of, well, nothing's happened in the last 50 years, so there's nothing to the UFO issue. And yet we know that's not necessarily correct because things have been seen in those 50 years that still defy explanation today. And things that I've you know, sort of either slightly involved with or things I've heard about. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's some... You sort of think at the end of the day, you know, what aren't you telling us? You know, why are you sticking to this mantra of nothing's happening when clearly we have you know, information to the contrary? Well, I mean, I always I always say that they don't like talking about it because they don't know, and they're, they're not going to admit that they don't know. <laughs> Well, that's right, because as, as I said before, you know, you don't want to admit that you're or you don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that you simply don't know what's happening and you can't also control it. Because back in the days that uh, you know, the, the book I've written about uh, 1946 and 1949, but I went on to write a book about 50 to 52 cases as well called Flying Source of Fever. And of course, when the American Air Force, they're sending up the latest jet interceptors, either by night or by day, to investigate strange things that have been like, reported in the skies and they can't end up doing anything about it so they can't intercept them because they're not fast enough or not maneuverable enough and these things just come and go as they please you don't want to admit that to your public that you can't defend your borders you can't defend your airspace because the next thing that comes over could be a russian bomber with a nuclear bomb on board and of course you don't want to you know give the impression almost to your, to your enemies as well that you can't control your airspace because who knows what might happen if somebody else thinks that there's a potential weakness here so yes i can understand why there's all this involved around trying to show the subject down. Speaking of the uh, your book dealing with the, uh, the the early 1950s, there's been allegations, and I think that um, this may have happened after the uh, uh, the UFOs uh, over Washington over those two weekends, uh, that there was an order given to uh, shoot them down. There's the debate whether or not that actually happened or not. Yeah, there is a debate, and it, 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 the category denied that that happened. Um, there is a book called Shoot Me Down as well. I think it was Frank Fuschino wrote that, uh, and it goes into detail about you know about the, the merits of that particular argument. It's certainly that they did send aircraft up, and some of the aircraft occasionally probably were armed, uh, because you know why wouldn't you would, why wouldn't you have alert aircraft? You know, back in those days when there was always a threat of um, you know things coming over the pole, uh, carrying bombs and all the rest of it, that you would have aircraft which had either air-to-air missiles or guns or or air-to-air rockets on board. So, yes, there was also potential for conflict. But even if they weren't armed and they were just sending these aircraft up, they couldn't catch them. They couldn't intercept them. They they still didn't even able to identify what these things were. So if it was another aircraft or it was a weather balloon, then the pilots would say. And I'm sure there were lots of cases where they did go up and they did see things like that. It was either an airliner which was straight off course and radar picked up and they, and they intercepted. And yeah, OK, that's fine. And that story went nowhere. But in case after case after case, you hear of F-94 Starfires or you hear of F-89 Scorpions going up. Um, you know, in in late uh, late forties, early fifties, and the pilots are these things just run rings around them, uh, and then zoom off into in, in the stratosphere, and they're never seen again. And the pilots come back, and they're just completely nonplussed. Um, but they, 
you must must think that they must have been really frustrated because their job is to defend American airspace, and they're going up time after time, and they're coming back without anything to show from what they're doing. And the official explanation is you were chasing Venus or you're chasing a weather balloon. And just wonder the stigma that must have been attached to these pilots. You know, what must they have thought? How must they have felt the next time they went up after a mystery contact as well? Well, that had, you know, that had to be frustrating to, you know, to the pilots to have their superiors, you know, tell them afterwards, oh, well, you were just chasing Venus, <laughs> or, or or something like that. Uh, you know, I mean, the chain of command. You know, you can't talk back and say, "Oh yeah, well, you go up there, and you try to shoot, you try to shoot him down." <laughs> well, also as well, if you're a commanding officer and you get a report back from you know from Wright Patterson saying that your your airmen saw Venus, and you've hmm. spent how much you know money, fuel, and all the rest of it, you know, sending a jet fighter off um, in the middle of nowhere to to chase Venus. And also, just think of it this way, you know, you've only got a certain amount of aircraft on alert status in a certain amount of air bases. And what happened if, for argument's sake, there'd been a sneak attack over the poles and you've got aircraft chasing after stars and planets that could have been somewhere else doing something much more important. So there would be this huge pressure on senior officers to clamp down on reporting. And of course, there would have been reports that probably never, ever went anywhere because the pilots would have got to the point where it's not worth reporting it. There's too much hassle, too much aggro. Where I'm going to be, you know, castigated for tra- for saying that I was chasing after something which turns out to be a weather balloon. Um, and even they may not even launched aircraft because radar might have picked something up where they thought, oh, it's nothing. Um, but beforehand, they might have gone after it, and then they got to a point where they just wrote it off as a radar angel or something like that. Or if they did send aircraft out of it, then you know it was come back. Yeah, we're just chasing ghosts, but actually, it could have been something that was real, and we'll just never know. Uh, but obviously, with the airline pilots as well, they were reporting things, and then you know you get newspaper story after newspaper story, and then Air Force evaluation: you were chasing a weather balloon, or you're chasing Venus. That must have got back to the companies as well. And, of course, you can imagine commercial pressure. We don't want airline crews looking after passengers, the safety of passengers, responsible jobs, to say they're chasing after Martians and all this kind of stuff, little green men. Um, that's going to be stigma again. The airline pilots, they even had a, me- uh, a meeting with Ruppelt in Chicago. Uh, there was a handful of pilots got together with him. Uh, it, it was on a layover between flights. And they were at him saying, you know, about all the things they seen and a lot of them said we're not going to report them because of the stigma you know the, the hassle we're getting so that must have just increased as well the longer it went on this is of course reminds me of the scene in close encounters of the third kind where they show a sighting by airline pilots early in the film and then someone from air traffic control says would you like to report this ufo and the pilot says no of course, you understand why, based on a lot of what you explain. Of course, today they're trying to convey the impression that's okay to report it. Well, they're, they're trying to convey the impression, but if you have a look to see where the cases come from, certainly the, the first, the, the UAP task force, it appeared that most of the cases were coming from the U.S. Navy. And since 2004, when the Nimitz encounters that happened in November 2004, most of the 
um, the aerial encounters, if you like, that appeared that have happened off the west and the east coast of America have involved the U.S. Navy and have involved U.S. naval aviators operating from carriers uh, in military training areas. And there's been very, very little that seems to have come from the U.S. Air Force. And even the latest um, report, the classified report, it doesn't give a breakdown of the cases between the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force. It just says the number have increased. So we're still none the wiser as to whether the U.S. Air Force is actually in, in, actively engaged in the process at the moment, because traditionally, at least you know, since the end of Blue Book and actually beforehand, they've been dragging their feet. And they, you know, they're, they're just, they just they don't seem to give the impression that they're that interested in it. They think it's just it's rubbish. Hey, before we get into more rubbish, we've got one more segment with Graham, and then he'll also be in the After the Paracast podcast with Gene and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your air. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. 
The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit ShopSuperTea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is ShopSuperTea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Graham Rendell. The title of the book, Dawn of the Flying Saucers, Aerial UFO Encounters and Official Investigations, 1946 to 1949. But we are also exploring the current situation since some of it mirrors what went on then. I think here with the Air Force's history and UFO investigation, maybe emotionally or politically, they wouldn't want to get involved, let the Navy handle it. It's quite possible. They've had their fingers burnt with ufology uh, or the UFOs since uh, the late 1940s. So I can understand why maybe senior officers in the U.S. Air Force, they might have an idea of what's happened beforehand. And I'm sure with all the stigma and all the, you know, the wisecracks and the X-Files music and all the rest of it, that they simply don't want to go there. They want to concentrate on maybe what they think are much more important issues, and which they're probably right in terms of domestic concerns and, and um, world politic. They've got much more bigger th- or bigger things to think about, and I can understand why that would happen. But really, the U.S. Air Force are probably, you know, with the U.S. Navy, they're the best you know, placed to actually come up with information about sightings, not just current ones, but also previous ones as well, uh, because they must still have records of the intervening period between 1969 and 2020, when, as far as we're concerned, nothing seemed to happen in terms of U.S. Air Force involvement with uh, UFOs. You had talked about Air Force pilots getting to the point where you know they're just not even going to bother reporting anymore. Back in the 1990s when uh, I was working in uh, television, I did a, a shoot one time where I uh, flew with an aerial tanker squadron. And afterwards, talking to the pilot and co-pilots, and I have no idea how this point of the conversation came up. We started talking about uh, UFO sightings, and uh, uh, both of them admitted that they had never seen anything, but then they proceeded to tell me stories about their friends who were also pilots, 
and their sightings. And I'm like, oh my gosh, so, you know, did did they report these afterwards? They're like, no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And they, I mean, they were surprised that I asked whether or not it was reported or not. There's like, you know, you don't report those kind of things. Of course, this was, you know, back in the uh, early 1990s. But at that time, that was the attitude. You may see something, but you're not going to say anything. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that's the case. It'll be the kind of thing that you'll probably have a quiet word with your buddies about, but you won't want to make it official because it'll just be too much hassle. And you never know what might happen afterwards. You might get grounded, for instance. You know, you never know what it might lead to. So, yes, I can understand why people would be very, very reluctant to actually make them official, uh, the reports. Do you think there's... a uh, uh I'm going to say, do you think there's been any any change in that? And you know, uh, we've seen the 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 most recent media coverage of it, but I think the, those are really just a select few. And whether or not that stigma continues to, you know, whether it persists, you know, where you know most pilots are just like, I'm not going to say a damn thing. Well, it definitely persists because, I mean, when you, when you listen to uh, news coverage and, and also news coverage in the UK, there's still a, a fairly dismissive attitude about the subject in general. And if you'll hear a radio piece or a TV piece, chances are it's preceded by the X-Files music or there's a mm. reference to the X-Files in, in the commentary by the, by the presenter. And usually the presenter doesn't have that much knowledge anyway. It's always very light in terms of the questioning. There's no in-depth questioning because they have no knowledge of what they're really talking about other than just a very very superficial uh, idea of what the subject entails and once you get beyond little green men martians x-files roswell maybe you know they're stumped in terms of what they can ask it's not like a, a huge social issue or a political issue where you've got teams of investigative journalists you know digging into every nook and cranny unearthing witnesses and talking to them and, f and chasing down where that lead goes to and talking to insiders, you know, talking to contacts, all this kind of thing, which you would get with a normal social or political story. This is something completely different. And it's always down to almost citizen investigators, citizen researchers, and a small amount of journalists. I mean, you know, let's talk about George Knapp, for instance. He's an award-winning journalist out of Las Vegas. He happened to write the forward for this book, so I'm biased about talking to him. But he's one of the few journalists who have given this subject the time of day and who, you know, are, are still credible, but also look into UFOs. Well, as a matter of fact, we've had George on the show, and just recently... A station called KDON in Las Vegas was added to our network. So if George wants to listen to the Powercast on real radio as opposed to a podcast, now he can do it. <laughs> sure. In any case, we're almost out of time with our main show. What are your plans for the future? Now that you've got this UFO book, how far do you intend to probe UFOs? The books about the aerial encounters have been quite surprisingly popular, so I've had a lot of positive comments about people who have read the books. So I've just finished the 1953 to 1954 book about aerial sightings, and that should be published in the next couple of months. And I'm also working on the 1955 to 1956 version at the moment. But also, I'm still delving into the Foo Fighters because I found a whole load of intelligence documents from the early 1940s that look into all these lights that were chasing after an Allied aircraft and, and British aircraft. And I've still got squadron records to look through because that's where some of the sightings information lies. So there is 
it's definitely a follow-up to the Foo Fighters book that I wrote in 2020. But also people have asked me, can you write a book about the Pacific sightings as well? Because obviously Foo Fighter type things were seen out there as well in 1944 and 1945. So that is something that I've got on my radar that I need, I do need to write about because I'm interested in that as well. And then in the future, I'd like to write a book about military sightings in the Korean War. That would be one that would fascinate me as well. So basically, the way you're going, you'll get into the 1970s and 1980s when you are 103 years old. Is that correct? Yeah, if I can still see it, I can still type. Yeah, that's right. There are still people who type at old ages. I am very old. We don't reveal how old, except that, you know, it's at least four or five hundred years. And I can still type. Believe it or not, here, here, you see me typing. I'm little, that little tapping is an error message made by my keyboard, but I can still actually type after all these years. But do you think you'll ever write books about more modern sightings? I guess I might do at some stage. It would have to be the right thing at the right time, and I would have to be in the right frame of mind. Because um, my background is an aviation historian, I also write books about airfield histories and things like that. I'm, I'm quite enamoured with old documents. I'm interested in the aviation of the period as well. But yes, I, I do have a, an interest in the current events. And a lot of my colleagues in UAP Media UK, they're, they're you know, fascinated by what's happening in the modern times. So yes, I can, I can imagine I could write a book about something that would have happened you know, in much more contemporary times. If we want to know more about what you do, do you have a website or someplace we can check you out? I'm mostly active on Twitter. Uh, my, my handle on Twitter is at Borders750. But yes, I do have a, a website, which is readercountrybooks.com. So that's Reva, spelled R-E-I-V-E-R-S. So you self-publish? I do, yes. Yeah, it's the easiest way to do it, funny enough. And I don't have to, uh, engage, I don't have to pay out lots of money to get uh, to somebody to edit the book either. And also in terms of printing, you can use print on demand. I need 100 copies tomorrow. You get 100 copies if I need one, which is a big thing. Getting that one through 10 copies, you can get it. That's changed, I think, the publishing industry substantially. The major publishers now deal mostly, I think, with high-volume books. By the way, you can find us on Twitter, as long as Elon Musk doesn't completely mess it up. And having heard that criticism, I think we'll disappear from Twitter. Look for the Paracast. We're already semi-disappeared from Facebook because they won't let the Paracast.com URL appear. The same is true for Tim Swartz's site, which is ConspiracyJournal.com. ConspiracyJournal.com, that's all the news that they do not want you to know. We also sell branded merchandise at theparacast.shop. Don't you like all those new extensions for web domains? Theparacast.shop or theparacast.store. And that's, of course, with the logos on T-shirts and stuff. We also have a streaming service called The Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus, where you have quick time information to get going with it. We also offer special deal with the coupon code UFO20 or UFO20. We give you a 20% discount on five-year and lifetime subscriptions. We give you the After the Paracast podcast where Graham will return. And we also give you this show without the network ads, free of the network ads. That's the way to get it. It just goes on from segment to segment without interruption. The Paracast Plus. Graham Rendell, thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you, Jane. It's been great to speak to you. Thanks very much.
Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>